Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of How I Crushed It, the podcast that shines a light on talent within the community. I'm your host, Tunde, and this week we have on the show Kike Onawinde. Kike Onawinde is founder and CEO of BYP Network, the networking platform for Black professionals. A former international athlete, she has since turned BYP Network into a million pound business with over 150,000 members and over a thousand corporate clients, including the likes of Facebook, The Zone, Google, TikTok, and Morgan Stanley, just to say a few. She's become a member of the Forbes 30 Under 30, the Miserati Top 100 Most Innovative Founders, and the Financial Times Top 100 BAME Leaders in Technology. She is on the board of the London Chambers of Commerce Black Business Association. She has been named as a Sky Women in Technology Scholar. She was invited to Paris on a business trade mission with London Mayor Sidi Khan. She won a STEM Trailblazer Batons Award at the Houses of Parliament, and she has won over 20 entrepreneurship awards. And for the eagle ears of you, she is also a friend of a recent guest on the show. Can you guess? Oral Bill revealed, but I will give you a clue. The guest was a big EastEnders fan. Okay, Kike, thank you so much for coming in and doing this episode of the show. How is your day going so far? Hi, yes, it's going really well. Can't complain. The sun is shining, which uh, always makes me feel good. So, yeah, it's going quite well. You told me on the, uh, just as we were talking before hitting the record button, that you're in your back garden. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in my kind of garden area, I'd say. Not quite in the garden, but in the garden area. In the garden area. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> now, for people that don't know, this uh, interview was set up and what well, kind of, I got the intro to, to Kike through Fumi, who was a guest on the show a few, a few shows ago. So how do you know Fumi? Actually, it's a very good way. Um, so we followed each other on social media, so mainly Twitter. And then during the pandemic, there was a time where like nothing was going on like in the business anywhere. Everything shut down. And I kind of tweeted that I wanted to study or learn Yoruba. Like I might as well use the time to learn Yoruba. And then a kind of thread came along with other people like, oh my God, me too. I joined, I joined. And Fumi was one of them as well. And then so we all managed to kind of join like a, a group um, of people learning Yoruba. We got a teacher from Nigeria who actually works with BYP Network today. Um, and it was it, like a lot happened from that that session. So we just remained friends from there. Our birthday's a day apart as well. Um, um, and yeah, we just, yeah. And she's, she's super cool. She got me on Good Morning Britain as well. Okay. Um, yeah. And she, she also helped out at our leadership conference um, last October. So super cool. Yeah, she had she she had a great story, and uh, lots of people engaged with that. How's the Europe going? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say it started and stopped in that ah, pandemic okay. period. Yeah. So, you know, when things pick back up again, suddenly there was no time again. But um, you know, I'm very aware I need to get back into it, and uh, I'm I'm making sure my daughter hears random words here and there as well. So we'll learn together, me and her. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm Europe as well, and it's not. It's, I mean, if you don't know it, it's not the easiest to pick up, is it? And I and I still I still don't know it basically. This, yeah, uh, this is it, yeah. right? And you have to. I think my problem was I was doing the sessions, but you know you have to do the homework, so you need to go and prep and like like keep on practicing. But I just didn't have time to actually do that. So 
yeah, I just didn't have the momentum. Okay, well, good luck. Good luck with that. <laughs> no, we're really pleased to get you on the show because, you know, I don't know if you know, but we, we, we try to document and shine a light on people in the corporate world, in the arts world, and in the sports world as well. And you kind of straddle at least two of those three. I mean, you know, the corporate world and, and sports. And we'll, we'll get into the sports world in a few moments. But um, as we always do with, with guests that come on, we, we kind of start off with how it all began. Like, where did you grow up? Where were you born? And how, how did it all kick off for you? Yeah, my story, I feel like I've said it like a thousand and one times, obviously not for this podcast. So I might give you a bit of a shortened version. Um, yeah. But essentially, I grew up in East London, um, which is a, obviously a very diverse area and community. And I did very well kind of academically. So like all A stars in the state school, but also as an athlete. So javelin, um, I did javelin for Great Britain, won loads of national competitions, got a scholarship to University of Florida to do, to do javelin out there, but also to do my master's as well. And um, so I gained a lot of opportunities through sports and through academic, like academic. So it seemed like being strong in both opened a lot of doors for me that I noticed. Um, but another thing I noticed as well is that I would be the only one that looked like me in certain rooms. And I felt like, you know, the barrier to entry is, is, is a bit different for the black community. Like, why do I have to be an international athlete with Stella Grace to be here in the room? Whereas the, you know, white man next to me is like, oh, you know, my dad got me in. <laughs> So it just felt like there was huge discrepancies. And then also it just felt like we don't know what we don't know. So because I started early with kind of banking, I knew we had to do psychometric tests. You know, I knew kind of the interview process. But actually I realized that if I didn't start early and for those who didn't, it will come as a complete shock and surprise. And so they won't get past those interview stages. Hence why there's such a lack of diversity in the finance world. So yeah, my upbringing was just kind of like two older brothers, uh, my mom. I'd say it was a happy childhood, but at the same time, my brother actually went to prison. So that kind of destabilized a lot of things too. So I just have a, a very kind of varied experience or, or or vision for things in the future, just because I've, I've experienced a lot of different things. And when, and when you say East London, are we talking Hackney? Are we talking like... Yeah, so initially Hackney. So grew up, uh, born in Hamilton Hospital, raised in Hackney um, up until the age of about 10 um, and then moved to Dagenham, which is kind of East London, Essex. Um, and then obviously went to university at 18 to Nottingham and then Florida. And then, um, went, then when I came back, I moved to Shoreditch. Um, and now as a married family woman, I'm back in Essex. Yeah, we've got similar touch points. I, I grew up in Essex as well and then moved to Hackney around about age of nine, ten. No, no, a bit later than that. It's oh, so opposites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's quite interesting. I didn't know that you had two older brothers. I mean, how, without getting into too much detail, I mean, how has your brother's situation, is, 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 is he on a good path now? Or oh, yeah, I understand. He's oh, been okay. out for a while. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, he's been out for years. So, um, and he's doing completely fine. He's, he's married. They live, um, they have their house together that they bought in Hackney. They're like literally doing so well. Um, and I've got another brother as well. Where, like, even given the fact that um, our mum passed away just over a year and a half ago, we're close. We've always been a close family, like um, very supportive family as well. And even at the time my oldest brother was inside, like, you know, I was speaking to him regularly. Like he was like my hype man, like whilst going through university. So we've got a great relationship. Got, like I literally love my brother so much. So, yeah. And I know one or two guests that we've had on the show, they've been brought up in single parent uh, households. I know that's the case for you as well. I mean, what impact did that have on you as, you know, when you were growing up? 
Um, I'd say for me, it was weird because I, um, like my dad left when I was about 10 weeks old. So literally went back to Nigeria because he just, he didn't like the UK, you know, back then they have to do odd jobs. He just wasn't, he wasn't on doing those jobs. Um, so he kind of left to go back to Nigeria. Whereas my mom had to stay here with us because all of us had different problems. So like whether one of us had, you know, eye problem, ear problem, legs problem. So we couldn't actually go back to Nigeria. So I didn't actually grow up with him. So I didn't, I felt like I didn't feel impacted because I never knew him. So it wasn't like I had something that I then lost. It was kind of like I grew up in an environment where I never had it. So I didn't know. So I always feel like I wasn't impacted. Obviously, look, (laughs) you don't know where you're impacted and, you know, where if things would be different. But um, I just, yeah, I feel like I wasn't someone who was impacted. And and now here, as I guess, as a wife and I see my husband with my daughter, I'm like, oh, wow. You know, my dad missed out on all of that. So I feel like it's his loss. Like, it's so exciting seeing the interaction, seeing how much fun it is to raise, to raise children. So that's more kind of how I feel. I feel more sorry for him, to be quite honest. I mean, I'm watching a Shaquille O'Neal documentary at the moment on Sky Television. He's a basketball player, but he was in the NBA. And I think if I, my memory serves me correctly, his paternal dad didn't want to know him or the family as they were growing up. And then as he slowly became more famous and more successful, the dad started becoming becoming more um, sort of demanding and wanting to have more of a role in his son's <laughs> life. Um, so that sometimes happens, doesn't it? I don't know if your dad has kind of reached out to you since then or is it always... Been yeah, quite- that definitely does happen. But I think for me, I'm like, okay, like, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not the case for me. So you said that the childhood was, was pretty happy growing up. I mean, where did you hang out in, um, you know, when you were going to primary school or secondary school? Where did you guys hang out as friends? Great question. So, you know, I think back to that a lot. Like we were in the adventure playgrounds. So like after school, there's adventure playgrounds, which is like loads of other youths and kids there. And you're kind of playing after school and they take you different places. So like I remember we went on a bowling trip or London dungeon trip or just loads of fun activities. And then also in the church as well, they used to do retreats. So we'd have one week in Devon and then like a weekend before that in the winter somewhere else in the UK. So I kind of grew up in an environment where I was like, I was always meeting new people, always outside, just so much joy. Even when I guess even a bit older, I was part of the youth clubs. So the youth groups, you know, hanging at the youth groups with those locally around me. I was part of sports clubs. So if it wasn't athletics, um, it was netball, you know, it was football. So I was someone who kind of, I just hung out wherever there was like something to do. I really enjoyed being active. Um, and then, yeah, so I was outside. <laughs> outside, that's I was that's, outside, that's yeah. How did the javelin come about? I mean, was it through the, the youth clubs or was it through school? How did that come about? Yeah, so it's a mixture. So the first time I ever tried a javelin, it was the foam javelin, which is like a short kind of, yeah, indoor javelin. And that was in primary school in year six. But it was random. It was a very random PE session. And I remember being good at it, but it, it, it's not something that stuck. It's just, oh, I was good at it. No one else could throw it like that. Okay, whatever. But then when I went to secondary school, I was doing indoor athletics. And so that javelin was the event I did for indoor athletics. And again, I could throw it all the way to the end of the um, sports hall. And that was all naturally, like I just was naturally good at throwing it. So as part of the school, we were also tied to a, a sports club. So when the summer came around, I decided to try it outdoor, like actually see if I'm good at the real javelin so that I can kind of flex that I'm good at the actual javelin too. And again, it was just natural. And uh, that coach that was there, you know, became my coach and he was the one who got me to, you know, Great Britain level. So, yeah. 
it's quite natural. I mean, I, I, I read somewhere, or maybe it was a video, that when you picked up the javelin, you actually threw it the wrong way round. Is that, is that, is that actually right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was pretty funny because he was like, you know, have you thrown a javelin before? I was like, yes. Obviously, it's a foam javelin, not the real one, but, you know, I tried, oh, to, I, see. I tried to front. So I, yeah, I picked it up, threw it the wrong way around. And also, it was the wrong weight as well. Like, I picked up like the men's javelin too. So wow. it was just, yeah, it was just kind of like, yeah, you've obviously never thrown a javelin before, but you are very good, but <laughs> it's the wrong way around and the wrong weight. So, um, yeah, that was pretty, pretty funny. <laughs> well, you obviously progressed very quickly because I understand that you became Essex champion, you were English schools champion. Was it nationals champion as well like for, your, for your age level? Yeah, yeah. So this is amazing. I mean, at that point, I mean, what were you thinking? Did you think it would become a, a career for you or was it just still, was it still a hobby for you at that, at that age? Yeah. You know, when you're young, your world is your world. So athletics was very much my world, if that makes sense. So my mind was like, I'm going all the way, not even, not even just Olympics, like world record holder. You know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> my mind's like world record holder. And I think that was good that I had that mindset because it was like, I'm going for it. I'm going for broke. Like, that was ambition. And I feel like it's the same within the start world. Like you just, you have to set your, your eyes so far so that, you know, you just keep going and see where you actually land. Yeah. Okay. I might not become that world record holder, but I managed to go to the NCAA on a full scholarship, you know, and be, you know, top five in, in the school's history or top 20 NCAA in that year group. So it was like, I managed to achieve so much from doing my sport, by, but by fixing my vision super far. So how it transpired is that actually, Everything that I learned, all the skills that I picked up was just so transferable in the world of entrepreneurship. And the fact that I was academic as well, I was able to kind of just balance the two or marinate the two. So yeah, javelin really has been my foundation and it's really, really just yeah, like more ways than anything. It just keeps showing up in, in my future, I guess. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, I've read elsewhere that in terms of the mentality, it's really helped you in that respect, you know, that you've um, been used as a businesswoman. Um, and we'll, we'll touch on that in a few, in a few seconds. But before that, obviously you completed school, I believe, and then you went on to get into Nottingham University. And my, my nephew went there. I think he went there after you, like a few years after you, but oh, he, nice. he had good things he had good things to say about Nottingham. I mean, what was your experience there? How did you like it there? Yeah, it's so interesting because I actually think back to Nottingham quite a bit, um, mainly because I do quite a lot for them now. Like um, I've volunteered quite a few times. I've done talks and I'm doing something again this summer for them. So I always think back to like, it's so good I had a good experience, otherwise I wouldn't do so much. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's funny, I'm even like, I'm so happy I got my grade as well. So I got the 2-1. I'm like, if I got, a, if I didn't get that grade, will I even, I'm just at like, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't go there. I yeah. don't know. So um, the experience itself was interesting because one, as an athlete, I was on a sports bursary there. Um, I was also on a, um, like a summer camp. So how I got into Nottingham or how I, why I applied for Nottingham was that in sixth form, there was like these summer camps and I applied for it and I got in and it was like a week in the University of Nottingham on the economics and management track. And that's when I kind of realized, okay, I really like um, this course and I really love this campus. Like it's so quiet, it's so calm, it's so different from London. So I was kind of sold on Nottingham just because of that week. And a good thing about that was that if you um, get into university and you're part of that camp, you get like a grand a year as well. So yeah, so that was great. So I got a grand a year from that and then I got another grand a year from my sports 
um, bursary and then another grand a year from the financial grant. So I felt like it almost was like free university if I <laughs> look at it like that. So there was that element, which was really cool because I'm like, I didn't actually struggle at university financially and I did still pick up a job as well. Like I was a student phone call ambassador or something like that where I was calling okay. alumni. Yeah, so I used to like call alumni to get them to donate to the university. So I was still working as well. And then I was doing my sport. And I just felt like they were quite supportive of that. Like I remember I could, you know, speak to them before the, the term started to just double check some of the courses and their hours so that I can plan my like training schedule around it. Um, you know, we had dinner and stuff with like the vice chancellor. We had like this picture with him, like all the sports bursars and we were on their like main university uh, magazine as well, which I'm like, that's pretty cool for someone who's just starting university to kind of, you know, know the vice chancellor of the university essentially. But my second year of university was the toughest where I essentially, I injured my back. I like to say the word broke my back because it, I had a tear in my like um, lower spine. So yeah. I basically couldn't walk. Like I was basically just depressed is the best way to describe it. Like I was thinking it's my 10 year anniversary since that whole period, but I was, yeah, I just couldn't walk. I couldn't obviously do my sports. Um, I just have this memory of me walking like this. There's this long route to get to my dorm. And that's another thing. I was living on campus in my second year because there was a chance that I wasn't going to stay at Nottingham. I was meant to actually go to America on a scholarship. So I was actually meant to go to Harvard, funny enough. Oh. And so a lot happened where that, that didn't transpire because of the timing. It, it would have meant me going when I would have been graduated. It just didn't make sense. So I had that that didn't happen. I broke my back. My grades were terrible. It just was just this awful year of just like, there was regret, there was pain. My identity was in a crisis. I just felt like everything was in the bin. And so I just always have this memory of me like walking like through a hill holding my back because I remember I had to like hold my back in a particular way in order to walk yeah. <laughs> so I had to make sure my my thumb was on the spine area so that I can actually walk otherwise I can't walk so I always have that memory of just like that struggle in that second year of university just to get through it but then by third year I just turned it all around I managed to somehow get my grade um I, I, that's when I got my scholarship to America I got my summer internship at City um <laughs> I won England championships like it was just like this full circle and that's always the period I look back on whenever things are difficult because I'm like if I could get through that I can get through anything honestly yeah how did you fix your back was it just a, a period of just like convalescing and just kind of resting it or did you have, need to have an operation? No. So I um, got a cortisone injection. So mm. it was a good year. So I broke it in February, 2013. And then by February, 2014, like it basically had healed from that cortisone injection. And that thing's a, is a hit and miss. Like it doesn't always work, but I think by having the rest, so I didn't compete, I didn't train basically for that period. And then by having the rest, by just doing kind of small training in the lead up, like strengthening work. And then by having that cortisone injection, I think that was able to help it. And I haven't had problems with my back ever since. So it was a true miracle. And I always look back because what was also incredible was I got my extra year in Florida because I didn't compete that season. So if okay. I did compete that season, I wouldn't have been able to have got my scholarship to um, Florida. So everything really happens for a reason. So uh, yeah, it, it was a blessing basically in disguise. It all worked out. I mean, we'll, we'll touch on Florida in a, in a few secs, but I do also remember reading that you set up a clothing line with a friend. Now, is, was that at university or was that just before uni? Where, yeah, it was then? just before university. So that okay. happened at 18. That was in sixth form, my ah. final year at sixth form. Yeah, and it was um, 
after I went to, it was entrepreneurship week, my college, we went there for like um, a competition. And I just felt so inspired that day that I called my friend after. I was like, oh, we should start a business. And we're like, yeah. She was like, yeah, we should. And then, yeah, we just um, came up with a name. Um, You remember what it was called? Yeah, it was called Kiwi Yam. It was still running. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was just still running. But what was interesting is that um, at the time, it was kind of just an idea, but it kept staying as an idea. So it, it kind of weighed me down because it was like, I was talking about it, like, yeah, there's clothing line, but there wasn't actually much movement. Like people are like, okay, where can I buy the clothes? It's like, okay, there's no clothes. <laughs> um, so I remember it just, it, it was, and in that second year, so it was in that second year that I had to drop out. So love my friend for it. Obviously we're still good friends till today, but I, I couldn't do it and go through all I was going through in that second year. So um, that's the story. So the, the clothing line is still available? I believe so. I ah, believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. She's done super, super well with it. Um, we're literally good friends now. Um, like loads of people have worn um, her clothes, like loads of um, influencers, loads of musicians. So anywhere from Thames to um, David Doe, Wizkid, like literally all of them have worn. And she's got like this Nollywood print. Yeah, it's done super well. We'll put that on the show notes just in case anybody wants to find out a bit more about the, the clothing line. That's That's fantastic. So... You've made the big move to Florida. I mean, I'm sure the weather over there is, is, is it pretty fantastic all year through? Is that, is that partly why people go over there for sports? Majority. Uh, yeah. So in the winter, I mean, it still gets cold, but not like the UK. So you still have to at night wear like a jumper, um, okay. but you don't need like Canada goose jacket, if that makes sense. So, but the weather, it was just so hot. It was just boiling, boiling yeah. hot. Yeah. And that was a serious transition. I was just about to ask that question. How was that, you know, leaving your mom, leaving your brothers, leaving your friends here? How, how did you find that whole transition? So it was interesting because when I got the opportunity, so when I got the scholarship, literally it was kind of out of nowhere as well. And it's just, again, just this grace that was amazing. Actually, well, not so funny story. My grandma just passed away. And before she had passed away, she was like, oh, you know, I, I'll pay for you to go study in America. Because I was thinking I would like to study in America. But she was like, yeah, I'll pay for you to go study in America. And um, what I'll do is I'll look for a house and we can live together. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thanks, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm like, yeah, yeah. sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> so, literally, that was like one of our last conversations. So, um, before she okay. had passed, because yeah, uh, like yeah, sadly, she also she shouldn't she didn't really have passed. But anyway, she passed in 2014, and like literally, she passed in September, and I got the scholarship out of the blue in November. So, I always feel like that was her blessing, like here take this since we can't live together in, in America so yeah so that came that came out of nowhere and um I was so I was excited right because I'm like yeah this is a great opportunity for me to focus on my sport you know I've done this well with you know not that much support system so if I go to America like there's no way I'm not going to be the world record holder you know what I mean like yeah. that kind of mindset like absolutely I'm gonna have everything I need there's no doubt about the level of success I'll, I'll reach, but um, it didn't quite end up that way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because I, I I, the whole world of sports is so fascinating to me. I mean, like, number one, what is the daily life of a sports person like, you know, particularly as an athlete? Is it day in, day out kind of yeah. training every day? Is that how it was? Yeah. It's amazing, firstly. Like, it's, it, I still am so grateful that I got to experience that. Like, that's not something everybody gets to experience. And I mean, even when I was there, people kept on kind of highlighting to me like, how rare 
it was for me to be able to be here on a master's as well. So I, so it's like only 1% of people get scholarships and then only 1% of 1% will get a master's scholarship. And I was only doing one event as well. So most times they'd want you to be doing multiple events to really maximize the money. But I only came for Javelin, came in as a master's, two seasons. So it was a, it was a big risk, you know, um, and a big blessing, but it was, it was, it's wild. So, okay. How do I, I don't think I've ever had to describe it to anyone before. So this might be quite interesting for those who want to kind of study in America, but essentially you live on a kind of student campus, like a student athlete campus. So we lived right opposite the track. I had two roommates. One was a tennis player. One was a golfer and we all have our own kind of schedules. So the actual masters works around the sports, which is opposite to Nottingham. So Nottingham was that obviously my course is the main thing. And then I have to figure out my training around my course. Whereas here it was like, actually my training is the main thing and the course has to fit in to my training. So training was like, from my memory, we trained like five to six times a week. It would be, and it was for hours as well. So you might do three hours in the gym and there might be three hours in the gym because you spend one hour just warming up, stretching, you know what I mean? And then another half an hour warming down. Um, and then you also have medical as well. So before you go to training, you meant to go to the medical where they would, like let's say any kind of twinges you have, they'll look at it, they'll, they'll massage you, they'll give you cupping, they'll give you acupuncture, they'll give you these thermo things that shimmy your legs. <laughs> Literally, like, things I'd never seen before, like it was all in that kind of center. So you have to go there beforehand. Then you go out to the track to train. It's boiling hot. The first time I was there, there was no shade. So literally I was just, I was dying in the heat. Like yeah. I just was not used to it. And every second, like it's like something was wrong with me every second. Like it almost felt like I was lying. It was like, oh, I've got a niggle. Oh, I've got shin splints. Oh, my, my shoulder. I kept cutting myself with my spikes as well. I just like, I still have a big gash on my leg now from cutting myself. Um, it was just like I was disorientated. It was just such a different environment. And I always think that like training before was just training. You go and you train, you figure it out. But there training was like competition. So you're, you can't really train properly because you're competing, but you just, this is where you need to be yourself and just learn and figure out what's right and what's wrong. But I couldn't really do that because I'm like having to like compete with the other girls in training, which also was like crazy for my mind as well. So, so there was that element. So that's like six hours worth of training in between. I'd always go and like have a nap because like, you know, like just absolutely shattered. Um, and then I've got courses and classes as well. So just imagine, let's say nine to six, like that is me doing training and courses. It's a packed day of that. It's super intense, isn't oh, it? Su- yeah, yeah, yeah. Su- super, super, super intense. Like, um, but one of the benefits was like the athlete's corner, which is the dining. So we get unlimited like dining basically. And it was, it was, it was I mean, it's crazy. Like we had sushi, we had steak, we had lobster tail. We had, <laughs> we had everything. In fact, I was just reminiscing like, damn, I haven't eaten so well since those days. <laughs> All free of charge. <laughs> Literally, I'm like, no I tipping have no, involved. 
not tipping. Like unlimited as well. You just eat wow. as much as you want. All the athletes are there. So not just track and field. You've got like everyone, the basketballers, the tennis, the gymnasts, mm-hmm. like we're all in that kind of athlete corner. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was just day in, day out. Um, I think our rest day was like Sunday. So that day I'll just try and just rest or maybe I'll go to the church on campus, for example. It was, it was honestly, it was a, it was an incredible experience and like a crazy experience at the same time. Um, and like I said, because of like all the transition, like all the niggles, all the kind of mental elements, I did not perform the way I should have performed. Um, like literally I regressed is the best way to describe it. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you remember how far you were throwing back then? Oh, like not far enough. So I went okay. there, I went there like with a personal best of about 55 meters, which is only like five meters or so from being like world-class and like, you know, Olympic world champ, Olympic world standard. Yeah. yeah, exactly. World-class standard. But I went, I, I literally, my first season, I think I ended on like 48 or 47. Like there were distances I was throwing like five years before. Like it was, I just complete, and I just couldn't throw. Like I just did not know how to compete. I just had no clue. It was like my whole internal system broke down. I was just a different person. And so I always, and I've said this before, like I look back again at that period and now I don't battle with imposter syndrome because I already went through it there and I realized how destructive it is. Because maybe, because I think at the time, like, oh my God, this is so incredible. Like, are they sure? (laughs) You know, why me? Oh my God. And then it's like, you can't perform. So, yeah. So again, another silver lining there, even though maybe at the time it was quite a challenging experience, you you came away. Oh, yeah. At the time, like we were, because I'm still friends with a good amount of them from Florida and like, especially my roommate, we always laugh like how, I quit, I quit. (laughs) (laughs) I'll come back from a bad competition, I quit. (laughs) I'll be on the phone to my mum, I quit. (laughs) That's literally the only vocab I had. Um, I never quit, but still, I I always seem to want to quit. (laughs) I mean... Cheeky of me to ask, but did you know anybody in that particular year that's gone on to, you know, big things in the of sports course. world? Yeah. I mean, the University of Florida is like top um, sports school. Like NC- they're like NCAA Division One like winners and like everything. Um, there's so many. I mean, in track and field, they they have literally like the um, Marquis Dandies and um, what's it? Oh, like I've been so out of athletics in so long. I can't remember names. Like all the um, triple jumpers, basically the top ones were Will Clay and... Um, Christian, oh, I can't remember. That's, um, even though the main guy now, who's a sprinter, Noah Lyles, he came oh, from okay. University of Florida. Um, oh my God, there's just so many that came, like <laughs> I was. I was in an environment where it was top class, world class athletes, literally. Yeah. But another thing that I really like about um, the American system is that you feel complete when you go to NCAA. If that makes sense, like you can go there and then pack up like you don't have to continue your sport because you have achieved like you are happy with that like that was four incredible years you got to travel you got to compete on a big stage and you feel fulfilled whereas in the UK you don't have that so you just keep going and trying and trying and there's no end point unless you actually become a world-class athlete which where so there's so many people who've just fallen in the middle because there there was no transition whereas out there a lot of people like they're they're doing so well and they're not in sports but they had they had all they needed from sports. Yeah. So okay, that, that didn't quite work out for you. I mean, in what kind of mental state were you when you when you had to come back to the UK and then you know sort of go back into the go back into the corporate world? How were you? How were you thinking? About them? Such a great question because actually, as soon as I touched back in the UK, I was myself again. 
Okay. Like literally, it was it was like night and day, like a touch. I was myself again. I, I remember when I came back, I was like out with all my friends, like just having a good time. I was still competing, even though I still wasn't like as good as I was before I left. I wasn't ashamed. I was like, yeah, I had a great experience in America. Like I was still out there competing. Um, I got a job pretty much on arrival. Like I got a job at a startup company in business, like I was doing business development there. I was making really good money, um, literally as a 23-year-old. Obviously, I came back in the summer, sun was shining. Like, I only remember good things coming back. Like, it, I, w- I didn't come back in a, any kind of state other than joy of like, I got my degree, I got my master's, it's great master's. And everyone was just so happy for me to be back as well, like my family, my friends. So I was in a really good mental state, actually. And I guess that, you know, the same year I came back is the same year I started BYP because I'm like, oh my God, on reflection, I had such a great experience. <laughs> yeah. I met so many incredible people. Like, like, how do we do that here in the UK and around the world? Yeah, I mean, I, I know you, you launched BYP in, in 2016. Yeah. But um, I guess, what was the main reason for, for setting up the business? Because you've just said that you were working in, in business development at the, the fintech company, earning good money. You're quite happy where you were in your life at that point, meeting, you know, going out with friends and stuff. So why, why did you decide to go down the entrepreneur uh, route? Yeah, so the first six months in the fintech company, I wasn't in business development. I was in customer success, but I really hated uh, it. Like I really, yeah. really hated it. I didn't feel like it was mentally challenging at all. And I felt like they missold me in terms of the position. Um, I remember really trying to do more. Like I was trying to do the most, trying to get new projects. Like, like here, look, look at what I can do, guys. Like I was really trying to show them that I've got more to add than the role that they had me in. Um, but essentially they just wanted me to do the role that they employed me for. Um, so when I realized that I kind of mentally switched off from the role, was still doing it like <laughs> very well because it wasn't, it wasn't hard. Um, but then it just felt like I had so much more capacity, like I could do so much more. So, you know, when the idea of BYP came and this was during Black Lives Matter, um, you know, with everything that was going on, I was tweeting, retweeting, like this has to stop. And these videos, I was just, I was in a state of distress about like what was going on in the black community. And then it had me kind of reflecting on my own experiences, like, like whether it was America, whether it was my internship experiences, even in the startup I was right now. And just realizing that black people, like we just don't seem to get many opportunities or we're not in the rooms we should be, or that the standard is different for us. Um, or the fact that we are talented and we do exist, but we don't see each other. We don't even know what exists in our community. So, for example, I only saw myself as an athlete because that's what I believe Black people were. We're only successful as athletes and musicians. But actually, when I went out there and in the times where I was in, you know, not within my sport because I had to have a mental break because I'm not doing well in my sport, I met so many amazing people who were doing different things. I met a guy who was working in Silicon Valley and he said he could set his own rate, you know, like I can't remember the name of it, but essentially you set your the amount of compensation you want and all this stuff. It just sounded so incredible. Um, or this doctor that kind of traveled the world and was doing big things. So I met so many amazing people out there in Florida, actually, um, outside of sports. Um, so that when I came back and all this was happening, I was just like, you know what? We need to find each other and we need to know that there are so many routes to success. Like there's so many different industries we can be part of. There's so many other things we could be doing. And that ident- our identity isn't just rooted in what the media says. And obviously the media also portrays negative narratives so like knife crime, you know, low attainment. It's always negative news and negative stats. And I'm like, that doesn't have to be the truth. We just need to find each other and we need to help each other grow within our careers. And if you can imagine, I'm in a sticky situation where I'm 
you know, I'm working, but like I said, the job is not even motivating me in any sense of the world. So again, like how do I meet other people? Like what was their kind of career journey and trajectory? Like how do I navigate this situation that I'm going through? So I just had all these kind of questions and thought processes and I just thought maybe other people feel the same way. You know, maybe I'm not the only one thinking like this. So if we just find each other in the UK and around the world, we come together, we network, we help each other, then maybe change can happen. Um, So that's essentially why I started the business. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, because I guess you would be, you know, the best person to to ask almost in, in in this area with regards to sort of black success and what, what's holding us back. I mean, you know, if you look at the Asian community, for example, there's so many role, role models of people that have got to the highest levels in, in, in society, in, in, the, in politics. You know, you've got the, the prime minister himself, you've got numerous people in the cabinet, even the first minister up in Scotland who's now Asian, even CEOs, you know, Google, you've got, I think, Adobe, uh, Microsoft, he's from an Asian background. So, I guess what I'm trying to ask is what do we need to do as a black community to to get to that that kind those kind of levels what's holding us back Yeah I mean I I'd, I'd say I can answer this question from Kike today like not Kike back then like Kike today 6 years into her business into you know just understanding the community more DEI and just everything that I've seen and I do believe it does still stem from what we know in terms of our community being very divided and divided in all sense so whether it's just in terms of the family, like we said, a lot of us are from single parent households. So you've got that parent who's having to work a lot and that's their focus, right? Just providing food on the table. So maybe in terms of the individual, maybe they're not, um, you know, they're not guided the way they need to be in terms of careers because they don't know. You don't know what you don't know. There's that lack of role model visibility. So maybe if you're hanging out in the streets or if you're hanging around with the wrong crowds, you know, that's how you're being brought up kind of by those around you versus maybe kind of the actual family home environment. That we mentioned the crabs in the barrel situation. I do believe that is a problem where we just think that there's only space for one of us, not all of us. So there isn't people helping each other, wanting to help each other, wanting to, you know, just promote one another. It's kind of a, you know, I've made it look at me like clout kind of chasing um, and making sure that, you know, I'm doing well, maybe not those around me. Look at how many followers I have when it's not even about followers. There's people who have like one follower and they're, they're, they're billionaires, right? Like there's just this lack of community cohesion. There's also a lack of like um, going for it, like in terms of like BYP, we put out so much opportunities. I remember once we put out this really incredible careers fair, like loads of incredible companies, really ready to like hire black talent. We put it out there. The majority of people that actually registered for that event were Asians. Like it was wild. We're like, what? Like, hold on. This literally says black professionals, black community. And it was mainly Asians that that had applied for that. So it was almost like they see an opportunity and they go for it. Whereas I'm not saying we definitely do, right? Like I'm one of those people, but not all of us or not all of us understand that we have to like invest in ourselves, invest in our professional development and our careers. And then also, you know, I'm talking about us as a, as a community. Outside of that, obviously, we know there are barriers. So I know that Asians, for example, talk about the good Im- immigrant. So they see themselves like the good immigrants. They're the ones that kind of come, they're palatable. You know, they kind of do what they're told. They get their head down. They invest together as a community. Like a, a group of them will buy houses together and then they'll live there. And then they'll, you know, they'll do that multiple times. They're kind of grown up in a, in a, in a very kind of collaborative family environment they see the role models around them. So it's just, it's, it's, it's completely different. Like, yeah, we are both communities of color, 
But actually, uh, I say our actual structural environment is very different. And then again, obviously, we did go through slavery. You know, we do go through more barriers in the sense of, like I said, some people see them as the good immigrants versus black community where it's just negative stereotypes all the time on us. So we've got a double-edged sword. We've got our own problems that we have to sort out as a community. So even the divide between black men and women, all this kind of incel behavior that's going on, you know, just just that in itself is is gross. Colorism, featurism, that's its own thing. You know, the role that music plays in terms of influencing us as well. And then obviously the other barriers in terms of the systems against us also working to break us down, working to break the black family and the break the black home. So it's it's not it's not the same. Yeah, but it's it's just not the same in terms of two groups of people. And obviously we're always going to be compared as we are both people of colour. But we the black community have to focus on what we need to focus on. And that's just like I said, that's why we go ham on role model visibility. Like BYP is all about showcasing the the role models that exist everywhere. If you go on our website, you see like any events that we've we've hosted, all the black leaders that have spoken, that have been there that you can tap in. We have mentorship, we have thought leadership content. Like we're just here to try and change the narrative. Like if you as an individual invest in your learning, invest in yourself, see that it's possible because others that look like you are doing it too. Um, Connect with one another, learn from one another. That's how change will happen. But we are fighting a big fight. Like, like I said, that, that incel behavior that's going on, like what people put out for the community, like the things that go viral, the things that are seen as cool, really isn't that cool. It's a lot. It's a lot. I feel like I can talk about this subject for a long time, but it's, it's really hard as well. It's one thing I want to put out there. And I think in my six years of being building BYP, like even I've nearly kind of been like, I can't do this, you know, going back to my sport there, I quit. <laughs> um, because it's just so hard. Like, like you're trying to change something that is literally the situation. You're trying to disrupt maybe what is seen as a norm in a community. And um, it's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's multi-layered as, as, as you've, you've kind of described and there's clearly no quick fix there. But I think it's really important that what, what you've just said, the fact that, you know, there are obviously sort of institutional barriers there that prevent us as a community progressing. But there's, there's clearly stuff that we could be doing ourselves better. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's something I wanted to highlight because it's not something I've spoken about much, but I've seen it, you know, especially as someone who's been building a business and just in terms of like just even just hiring or those around and seeing kind of things that are acceptable and that are not. So it's, it's twofold. We too have to do our part as a community and as individuals. And we can do the blame game because there there is a lot to blame, but it's it's both ways. We blame, but we do as well. And I'd, I'd say that, you know, there's just a lot of development that we need as individuals as well. Fantastic. Now, obviously, the business has gone from strength to strength in the, what's it now, seven years that it's been six, around? Yes. Six years. Six years. Okay. Um, I, I read that six and a half. <laughs> <laughs> um, I read that in the early years, it was revenue generating from the off. But then at one point, you started to want to raise some money. And it, it was pretty full on from you, for, for, from you in particular, because you, you almost, I know you did have some help head of partnerships, I think it was, but apart from that person, it was pretty much you fronting all of the fundraising rounds. And it was pretty full on days, you know, working from 9am to 12am. I mean, how did you, how did you get through that period? Because again, it was, it sounds pretty intense. Yeah. I think, see, that's what I mean. Like the sports, if you, you know, those that listen to this will hear what I talked about as a sports person, right? My hours, what what I was doing, training in the sun, medical gym, and then having to go to my course still. And so 
I, I am used to that kind of environment of just getting stuff done and getting multiple things done well. Um, so I'm always grateful for that kind of um, upbringing or, or that base that I had. So to me, it, it didn't feel hard. And I always say this, it wasn't hard. Like that beginning bit was just fun. I was on it. Like I was working obviously at the time at the FinTech. I was doing BYP. I was still representing England in Javelin as well. I still had a social life. <laughs> you know, I was I was able to do all those four things very well. And I wasn't burnt out in any way, shape or form. I was just absolutely enjoying myself. And um, so it just, it didn't feel like that for the first few years, for sure. Um, when I fundraised, it was off the back of me winning three pitch competitions. So I won 40,000 pounds. And then I kind of got investors from those competitions, like people I had networked with. Um, and then that's when it was like, okay, I need to like start hiring. And that's obviously when it becomes difficult when you start having to bring other people who may not work the way you work or, you know, even have the kind of values that you have. So you have to make sure you hire right. So that's its own thing. And then obviously trying to get the product market fit, and then going through that kind of pandemic period where we just had to pivot. And yeah, that whole crowdfund was pretty much me, like just going for it and using like an agency to kind of help, you know, put the deck together and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of the time it was just me, but where we are now as a company, you know, I've had people in my company now who's worked there for two and a half years um, or three years. And that's amazing because actually you are better with more people, hundred percent. Like I can't be scale. I can't, can't do everything actually. And, you know, for example, last quarter we hosted like 28 events as a company. I could never host 28 events. <laughs> I can't, it's impossible. But when you have um, employees, when you have chief activates, when you have other people who are invested in um, changing about narrative and invested in the mission, you know, they get the job done. They do incredible work. And that's how you see the growth and scale. So, and I'm enjoying it because I've got great people in my team. But in the periods that I didn't have great people on the team, I absolutely hated it. So it's just this, it's just been this incredible journey in the last six years of just growth. And honestly, it just reminds me of everything else I just told you, like whether it was Nottingham and broken back to Florida and competing crap, like it's just another new struggle that you, you just go for it again. Maybe in the middle, I'm like, I quit, I quit, but I know I'm not going to quit. Um, but it's it's one of those things where it is full on. I'm quite a full on person. I'm someone that can do multiple things well like I've always been like that and I still am and I love that and I always tell people like don't use me as like a blueprint like not in a like don't be like oh you know Kike she's got a baby she's you know able to still be here or she's doing that like how don't just don't do that because it's pointless like I'm just someone who just does what I do and that's fine but don't don't compare or don't now feel like you should be doing the same do what works for you um and that's something I always tell people because whenever I come across people they always say the same thing oh my god you do so much how do you do so much you must be up at 5 a.m no I'm not up at 5 a.m I could never wake up at 5 a.m I am not an early morning person Okay. <laughs> just want to put that out there <laughs> good today good today because a lot of people aren't um but yeah you, you just mentioned there you've had a, a baby recently so congratulations there I guess a lot of mothers in particular will want to know since you've had the baby have you become do you think you've become more ambitious or hungry since the baby or less or is it is it is it still too early to to find out yeah I don't feel a change if I'm honest I think um they change okay I think all what it's done, it's just, it's just brought me joy, like more joy. Like it's yeah. very exciting. It's very fun. Like I just love my baby, love playing with her, love chilling with her. Like everything she does just makes me laugh, makes me smile. So whenever I'm working, I think of her like, oh, I can't wait to see her a bit later on or let me go down and play with her. But it hasn't changed anything in terms of my own ambition. So it hasn't made me more ambitious. 
like, oh my God, I must do this for my child or, or less. Like, oh, I want to slow down so I can focus on my child. It's kind of just kind of, she's now an additional part of my life and family. Amazing. But I'm still doing what I'm doing. Nothing's really changed. And how, how did you cope? I mean, obviously when you had the baby and the, the first few months, I guess you had to take some time off. How did you, how did the business operate w- without you there? Yeah, it was quite interesting. So um, my husband's mum, she was here, which was amazing. Um, obviously I lost my mum, so my mum wasn't wasn't here, wasn't part of it. So having her, she's so lovely, was, was literally like fantastic. She was with us for, I think, three or four months. I can't really remember, like around that amount of time, which is right in the early days. So she'd bath the baby, you know, all that kind of early day stuff that you need to do with babies. So that was like super, super helpful. I took about six weeks off, like fully. And then I came back part-time to the end of the year. So like another four months, but like working half, you know, half the hours and working mainly remote as well. So for me, it's funny, I was talking to someone about this yesterday, like everyone's different, but that was fine for me. Like I felt like that was enough time. Six weeks felt enough. But coming back part-time was enough. I didn't feel like I needed a year or I needed longer or shorter. I just, I just it felt right. Like when, by the time I was ready to start work, I was like, yeah, I feel ready to come back. Um, so yeah, I did, yeah, it was, it was fine. Yeah, I mean, you know, as, as I said earlier, the business has gone from strength to strength. I mean, you're a regular speaker at these high profile events. I mean, you, you spoke at the Forbes 30, uh, 50 summit with yeah. the likes of Hillary Clinton and Jessica Alba. I mean, my gosh, how'd you get to, <laughs> how'd you get to schmooze with those kind of people? I mean, did you actually meet Hillary Clinton? Yeah. Yeah. We're all on like, um, the speakers tables as well. So we're all like next to each other. There was some really cool people there. Um, it was, it was amazing. I think it was just such a great opportunity. And for me, like I even said it on the Forbes thing. So like there's this clip of me where I say, like I said, I don't suffer from imposter syndrome. Like I literally don't. Like I had my time in Florida. <laughs> it's gone. Um, so any opportunity I get, I know that I deserve it. So even when I was there, it was like, I know I deserve to be here and I absolutely do. And my session was great. It was received so well. Loads of people came back saying it was one of their favorite sessions. Um, So it was one of those ones where it was like, yeah, it makes sense. And I think I was like the only one from the UK as well. Um, So it felt nice to kind of represent the UK because it was quite an American event. But it was a fantastic experience and I've got a good relationship now with the Forbes team as well, which is really cool. Right, right. So what what are the plans for BYP moving forward? I know you you, you were looking at sort of international expansion. How's, How's that progressing? Yeah, super well. So, I mean, I don't know when this is coming out, but May 19th, May 26th, uh, 2023, we've got our US summits. So we've got New York and we've got Atlanta. One's headlined by Capco and one's headlined by Cisco. So we're expecting, you know, hundreds of people out there. We've already got some incredible speakers lined up. And for us, that's like our way of kind of bringing our leadership conference to the USA um, because our leadership conference is just a great opportunity to kind of really showcase the black role models and black talents that are out there and to learn from them, to network and to connect. Um, but we are already in New York and Atlanta. So we've hosted events there already with our chapter leaders. So we have this um, thing called uh, BY Peers which is um, basically BIP network chapters in different cities and different um, industries. So we've already in New York, Atlanta, you know, Dubai, Nairobi, Lagos, Manchester, like just loads of different cities. And our aim is to be in about 40 by the end of the year. Well, 40, like which city slash industries. Um, so we are already international and that's been exciting, but this is our year of like actually like the HQ going out to America 
and kind of being out there. And we're also looking to open up an office in Atlanta as well this year, which is super exciting. Um, and we're also launching a new product, which I won't say much about here, but it's super, super, super exciting. Like we've, we've been pouring a lot of investment into it. All of our partners are so excited and we feel like this is like proper game changing. Um, and it's been from kind of the six and a half years of just learning, like six and a half years of just, you know, just all the kind of community members, all the events we've hosted, all the content we've developed, all the mentorship opportunities that have occurred, all the conversations that we've had, um, all the talks. Just We've just done so much in six years. And I think some people maybe underestimate just how much BYP Network has done. Like some other companies just do one event a year, literally, or two big event. And, you know, that's the, the one they promote all year. But we are doing, again, it's not even about events because we're not even an events company. Events are just a great way of bringing community together. But for us, it's like, we're just nonstop. And the team also, like, they love it. We're all just like, oh, this just happened. We're, like, we were all in the office yesterday. We just had a great time. Um, How big is the team now? There's about 20 of us. So the team has been between 20 and 30 for the last, like, two or three years. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because I didn't really want it to get bigger, but I feel like it will be getting bigger because we're even hiring for about five positions now. And then, um, there's yeah, it's just, it will get bigger and I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, our plans are, it's just, you know, literally just, we're here to be the go-to platform for all things black professionals around the world. And, you know, with what we've been building, it's it's a career advancement platform. So literally we're, we're here to help accelerate black professionals in all fields and all industries. So, yeah. Excellent. Just two quick questions that we always ask uh, guests before they leave us. Um, number one, how much of your success do you think is down to either luck, hard work or talent? So if you had to choose one of the three, particularly your success, you know, launching BYP, how much is down to luck, hard work or, or talent? I mean, it's a combination, if I'm being honest, so I can't say one, but I'd say I'd start with the word talent because it starts with talent, like just having that skill and that ability is first and foremost. Some people can work super hard and it just doesn't work because that's just, they're not talented in that area. And then I worked bloody hard <laughs> and I do work <laughs> bloody hard, um, my, my language. And then obviously with hard work comes the luck, like, you know, was it um, hard work meets opportunity creates luck. So that's then those things that have fallen from the sky, but it's because I've already seeded it. You know, I've already been working hard. That person already met me two years ago and then remembered me and then connected me and then boom, I got investment. So it's one of those ones where it definitely starts with talent. Then you have to work hard and then the luck will kind of fall into place as well. Okay. And I did read elsewhere that the BYP network only exists to not exist. And you, you said that you would close the business of all these companies out there were diverse enough black professionals were getting the opportunities. So I guess my question is, if you did close down the business, what do you think you would be doing in another, in a, in a different world, uh, apart from, you know, being an entrepreneur? Well, firstly, if I close, if I'm able to do that, that's amazing. <laughs> Let's yeah. just all say, wow, <laughs> like that is fantastic. Like for BYP, you know, not to need to exist, then, then we're all happy. We've got a very diverse world that's fair, that's, you know, giving people opportunities, the systemic racism and, you know, institutional biases have gone, you know, black professionals are connecting with one another. They're helping one another. They want each other to win. Like if we don't have to exist, that is fantastic. What would I be doing instead? Um, I don't know. That's the honest truth. I mean, I never knew I would be doing BYP Network a decade ago. No one could have told me this would be my future. So um, I don't have a clue and I don't know what 
I will be doing in five years or 10 years time, but I'm always just very open. That's one thing about me. I'm just open. I'm excited for whatever does come because, you know, when I look back at my life so far, it's been exciting. (laughs) So I just look forward to whatever else might happen. Fantastic. If anybody wants to reach out to you, uh, Kike, where, where can they, where can they reach you? I'm on all the platforms, so Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And if they just search Kiki on a Wednesday, I'm there. Just follow me, uh, send me a DM, tweet me, add me on LinkedIn, message me, and I'm sure I'll see it. Eventually, I will see eventually, it. Eventually, <laughs> Yeah, I don't want everyone to be like, you said you'll see it. Like, eventually, eventually. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, do, do you still keep tabs on athletics at all or not? Not really, haven't got the time to... Funny enough, um, since having my baby, I've gotten back into javelin. So I've got oh, okay. back into, yeah, I didn't mention it because I mean, I'm not great at it. So it's just one of those things where I'm doing it kind of for fitness reasons and just like my outlet as well. Like that's yeah. me time, right? Like that's me, like not as a mom, not as a as a wife, not as a, a businesswoman, just Kike with her javelin, if that makes sense. So it, it just, it's like a nice kind of two hour period twice a week. So I wouldn't say I keep tabs per se though on what's going on in athletics. I just know that sadly the um, it's not as attractive these days. Like the fan base has really reduced. You know they haven't they just haven't really kept up with the times. I don't know. I, I just they need to do something in terms of just building athletics up again. But yeah, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, Kike, thank you so much for your time and uh, all the best for the future. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much to Kike there. That was fantastic and great to have somebody on who has actually straddled both the sports world and the business world. And it was really fascinating getting a bit of insight into the daily life of an athlete and how she's taken that mindset into growing her business. Check out the show notes for links to the BYP network and also the fashion label that she mentioned that she was involved in as a teenager that is now going from strength to strength. I'll add that to the show notes. Thanks for listening. Please do us a favor. If you are liking what you're listening to, please do leave us a a review, whether that's on Spotify or Apple Podcast or maybe social media. That's at how I crushed it at how I crushed it and if you think of someone that you would think that would be a great guest on the show do send us an email to how I crushed it at gmail.com and we'll see what we can do see you on the next show